0: What do we need to do to protect the organization? And you kind of get in this this mode of not only talking about the management of the risks, but you're also talking about the direction of the organization.
1: Welcome back to another exciting episode of Trust Versus. I'm Robert Booker, strategy officer at HITRUST.
2: And I'm Jeremy Huval, innovation officer at HITRUST. You know, it's always a pleasure to be here talking about cybersecurity.
1: That voice you heard at the top of the episode belongs to none other than George Cesare, the Chief Technology Risk Officer at Kaiser Permanente, a giant in the healthcare industry. George has been on the High Trust Board of Directors for quite some time and a long time friend. And what we learned uh, in talking to George is before he joined Kaiser, he worked with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department doing forensic um, investigations, identity theft, And before that, he was a CISO and Privacy Officer at Dignity Health. So George has a really rare mix of skills, being a lawyer, a cybersecurity expert, and having worked on the law enforcement side, he's kind of got the triple threat going on.
2: Yeah, the theme of our conversation with George, trust versus cyber risk management. So as cybersecurity professionals and risk managers ourselves, this conversation struck a chord with Robert and I. George provides some insights into how he approaches managing cyber risks in a huge company and in a very interconnected industry.
1: Yes, uh, we we think a lot about the importance of cyber risk management within the broader enterprise risk management framework, not a new term to this podcast. We've talked about enterprise risk management several times and it all ties into the overall value creation of the organization.
2: Yeah, and we also talk about the evolving threat landscape and how it impacts cybersecurity, which is something we continue to touch on in the podcast and George here shares his perspectives on staying ahead and how critical that is to ensure you're protecting data like you, like you need to do.
1: We also cover third-party risks and the challenges organizations face when they think about and manage those external partnerships. And lastly, we touch upon the significance of industry governance and the critical role of that partnership between organizations and the regulatory bodies they work with. I mean, together we're partners in managing cyber risk. So Jeremy, give me your thoughts on why this is such an important conversation. Sure, but let's zoom out for
2: a bit. Think bigger than just managing the risks of technology and let's think bigger than just managing the risks within a particular business. Let's talk about the concept of risk management for a minute. To think we as humans can somehow manage risk takes this acknowledgement that the future is something that we can shape and even bend in our favor. When we try to manage any kind of risk, Regardless of whether it's the risk of a lost hard drive with lost data or even lost crops of corn, we're operating under the belief that we can determine our future state instead of being victims to whatever nature or lady luck has in store for us.
1: It's such a great point, Jeremy, it's such a human consideration, and it's good to think of risk management about trying actively to shape the future. If risk management's our game, the future is the playing field we're running on. Without an uncertain future, there's no risk or any need to manage it. So risk and time are really two sides of the same coin.
2: And because none of us can see the future, at least nobody that I know, any risk management decisions we make are based on two inputs. One, our subjective belief about what will happen in the future. And two, our knowledge of the past. I think the tools that exist in the risk management space try to bring those two inputs together to optimize our decision-making. I think those tools are just fascinating. So we talk about a few in this interview, tools like quantitative risk analysis and the Fair Institute's tool set and the methodology they're bring to the table. And High Trust has a patent pending in this science in this space around quasi-quantitative residual risk analysis and how to use high trust analyses to sort of do a quantitative risk analysis. Shout out to Dr. Brian Klein there. Um, but I'm a tool guy and sort of the the ideas that underpin these tools in this space are just fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think it's really interesting how you talk about the human dimension and the tooling. And there's a lot of science in play at risk management. And as we dig in, it seems to be continually evolving. I think some people do it better than others. And I think George probably uh, is one of those people. And uh, But I'd argue that there's a lot still happening in in terms of art, you know, not just the science, but the art of it all. So Without further ado, let's just dig into the interview and listen to George Cesare, okay. the Chief Technology Risk Officer at Kaiser Permanente. So,
2: George, thanks so much for spending time with us. And uh, I know you from um, your role on the High Trust Board. I think you've been a board member for maybe seven years. Just about. Can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do and what you focus on day in day out? Sure.
0: So I'm the uh, uh, senior vice president, chief risk, uh, actually chief technology risk officer for Kaiser Permanente. We're a uh, 100 billion dollar revenue uh, integrated delivery network, uh, having both the uh, the payer, the providers, and and of course the hospitals and and uh, medical office buildings. We're uh, practicing in a number of markets throughout the United States. We are a a uh, U.S. based company about. 220,000 employees and um, uh, about what, 30, I think it's 39 hospitals.
1: George, one of the things I'm, I'm so fascinated about with uh, your role is the the breadth of the role that I imagine must be, you know, the chief technology risk officer role for a company as distinguished as Kaiser. And when we think about, you know, Jeremy and I both said worked in this sort of cybersecurity, cyber assurance space. And we're definitely in that area all the time but you know you 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 know i would i would presume your role goes can go much broader and deeper than that so when i think about it you know how, how how do we think about cybersecurity and cyber risk you know as a part of a larger enterprise risk framework so it's foundational as you said but how how so and what do we need to be thinking about there
0: it starts off with where your organization is and and, and really an organization with a mature risk management program has it a good idea of where, you know, its risks lie and, and what its tolerances are to accept those risks or, or even deal with those risks, you know, and cyber being one of them. Uh, but you know, you've got, particularly in today's day and age, many healthcare organizations are struggling financially. Uh, we see, you know, even, even hospitals that are closing, uh, we just had well, one recent hospital, I can't remember, um, that closed down because they were hit by ransomware and, and shut down for, for, you know, several months, I think it was, uh, and their accounts receivables were, you know, uh, just, you know, falling behind and they ended up having to close their doors, you know, unprecedented, but, but, you know, really realizing, you know, what <laughs> I use, um, you know, there's a gentleman that I've, I've worked with in the past by the name of Bob Zuckis. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's written a number of books, former PWC gentleman. And one of his stories that I've, you know, gone to our board and talked about is, you know, understand what your O-ring is. And by that, it's the story about the the Challenger space shuttle mission. You know, what happened in, that, in you know, the, that explosion, that accident? And it turned out to be a small, tiny little O-ring that was subjected to, I think it was lower temperatures or higher temperatures, I can't recall. Then it was tested by a few degrees, but that caused a systemic failure of all of the shuttle systems. Similarly, it's like in in, in healthcare, you kind of have to understand what is that overing? What's tied together? And and there's a lot. You know, you look at who you do business with. You look at what you do. You look at your, in the care delivery space, you've got legacy clinical uh, systems that don't have the capability of accepting agents or being monitored. So you've got all these things that, that come together as your O-ring, um, you know, and, and which one can cause a systemic failure in your environment. You know, financial situations, I mean, we know those are right now something that healthcare is looking at. Sure that the you know, leaders in that space are, are looking at the industry as a whole and saying, what well, can we do, you know, better uh, so that we don't fail? So those are the things that were, you know, come down across the board, are systemic in nature and cybersecurity is a piece of that, that can cause a failure if there is you know, an impact, uh, to, to that environment. So there's, there's quite a, you know, from my perspective and what I do is I'd have to look at that holistically and, and be able to you know, determine what pieces f- uh, fit together, where that O-ring sits or which O-rings we have throughout our environment and which ones we have to deal with. You know, again, you know, everything has a cost to accept a risk because that cost versus the benefit isn't, uh, just equal or greater
1: you you know, as you were explaining those examples, um, you were talking about the, you know, the the business risk, the uh, the enterprise risk dimensions, uh, not not purely the the quote unquote cyber or technical risk, which I I think as you noted is a is an is a component of that, but it's uh, it's really the broader impact to the enterprise. So you're, um, is it fair to say you're thinking about it from a, you know, the 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 enterprise value that's being created and how the technology risk broadly, you know, impacts that value, or maybe said another way, would would keep it from being successful, or would help it be successful. Is that? Do I have that right?
0: Yeah. Most organizations today invest heavily in technology, and you know, in, in many aspects, uh, there's you know, <laughs> there's multiple risks that are introduced in the in the introduction of technology. Um, you, know, you, you, you know, if you don't change your process uh before you invest in the technology then you're just kind of adding layers on top of broken things and uh if you don't mm-hmm. reap the benefits of what you invested in meaning you know it doesn't you know provide efficiency it doesn't provide you know speed it doesn't provide you know things that you see as a benefit to this investment and that's not delivered that's a risk yeah but then we look at it too from the aspect of the risk to an organization uh, is a part of the risk to the industry. Because if you have a failure in a, a system, a health system, it's going to impact everybody else. Patients have to go elsewhere. Costs need to be absorbed. So there, there's a lot of things that we have to look at holistically uh, as how it impacts not just your organization, but the broad industry in general.
1: What are some ways to measure and in- you know, communicate that. I think. I think healthcare. You know, one of the reasons I'm in healthcare is because of the mission. I think many of us are. But you know, what are what are the ways you actually translate that? You you mentioned earlier. You know, the uh, CISO serving as kind of a point of translation. You know, communicating with the board and such. I mean, taking that and kind of. I'm, I'm almost thinking in practical terms. How do you, how do you measure it? How do you score it? How do you report it? And maybe, maybe I'm being too tactical about it. You know, how how do you think about that when you communicate in a company? You know that does all the things Kaiser does when you sort of translate that, you know, upward and with your colleagues? I mean, what's the conversation sound like?
0: I'd like to say you got to keep it simple because there's a lot in that conversation and you can really get into the weeds. And It depends on who your audience is. So if you're talking to your board of directors, that's one level of conversation. If you're talking to your leadership, that's a different level. And of course, if you're talking to, to the uh, you know the staffing and and just the the, the broad spectrum of, of your organization and that's a completely different level of conversation. So it's it's really you know, who your audiences and if we start you know, start at the uh, at the top with the oversight, it's really you know they want to know what they, should they be worried about? You know, what risks exist? You know, what risks are being introduced? And how is the organization dealing with most of these boards? are made up of folks that were finance uh, CFOs and, and coming from you know, that, that point of view. So a lot of times you, that conversation is about money. It's about you know, quantitative risk modeling that, that, that helps them understand what the impact is. And you know, typically it's dollars. And, you know, that, that, that translates well in that conversation. Uh, you know, if you're talking to leadership, it's, it's really impact not only financial, but they're looking at the operations, uh, the, the the clinical space, uh, the administrative areas, and you know what what impact can they have by you know the, uh, the risks that the company bears. And then you know to to the different levels of of folks within the organization, it's about the tactical pieces. What what do we need to do to protect the organization? And you kind of get in this, this mode of not only talking about the management of the risks, but you're also talking about the direction of the organization and you're kind of there delivering a message on behalf of leadership as well. So what are your takeaways from all this, Jeremy? So
2: I was sort of intrigued about George's example of that hospital system that had a ransomware attack be successful and ended up going out of business. I ended up looking up some stats about how often this happens. I was really curious. Uh, This happens a lot more than I thought it did. So I found an article from Cybercrime Magazine from back in 2019. And even then, they were saying something like 60% of small businesses will end up going out of business within six months if they fall victim to a cyber attack or have a data breach. So for me, that was a good reminder that cybersecurity is an existential threat for a lot of companies. And it makes cyber risk management a practice of organizational preservation.
1: What about you? Any key takeaways? You know, I couldn't get past the the example that George gave about uh, the O-ring bringing down Space Shuttle Challenger. I mean, something that small and eventually that tragic. And just, you know, thinking about all that and what it means for our business processes. You know, what are the O-rings that we have? And, you know, what do we need to be thinking about? You know, and just you know thinking about it maybe from a bigger picture, you know, something that we talked about was, you know, the risk of automating bad business processes. Not something we talk about a lot when we talk about cybersecurity. But it's a real example. So, you know, imagine we put in a new ERP system, we spend even more money, you know, customizing that system to align with our legacy business processes. And then we do accounts payable just the way we've always done it, you know, with the legacy processes we built over the years, because we've always done it that way. If you net all that out, we're not going to be in a better place. And, you know, instead we have just a more efficient legacy process and I guess if you take that all the way to the end, you could even get better at being bad or having bad process, which isn't really going to be what you're seeking.
2: Yeah. Mission failed successfully, sir. Yeah. George said it pretty well when he was talking about that. He said something like, if you don't change your process before you invest in the technology, then you're adding layers on top of broken things and you don't get to reap the benefits of what you invested in. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is cool. And yeah, you know, we think about the importance of cyber risk within the broader enterprise risk framework, how it ties into value, the value the organization's delivering. And, you know, I think that's really an important thing for us as cybersecurity professionals to constantly remind ourselves about, you know, we are here to balance business security with business goals. Business outcomes are what we deliver I mean, it's what we're about. And we've heard it from other experienced guests as well. So if I want my program to be successful and effective and and frankly, to also serve the needs of the business, I've gotta find that right balance of maximizing my security and enabling the business objectives through my security program. And that balance is gonna be different for every company and that's okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. I remember, I remember my first internship in college. It was with an insurance company in Baton Rouge and I was helping administer a Novell network as part of their electronic data processing department if you can believe it. The CIO at the time was trying to explain to me as like a college sophomore or something, how information security worked. And she said something that's always stayed with me. It was something like this. We could make the company as secure as possible. The most secure company on the entire planet. We'd be able to guarantee that we'll never be hacked and we'll never be robbed. But picture this, right? No internet connection, no doors, no windows actually no employees sitting at any of the desks. The data will sit on the computers and stay there and it won't be at risk at all. Mind you, nobody, no customers are getting served, no processes happening, no transactions get through the machine. We'll go under really fast, but we'll be super secure doing it, right? So the moral of the story, of course, is you don't want to lose the baby with the bathwater when you're trying to manage IT risk. You can't make an overly restrictive system or take an overly restrictive approach that hinders operations or like, for example, slows down innovation.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a great internship because you learned something that stayed with you even now, Jeremy. So that's really cool. So, and I think just netting out risk management is, uh, it's not about chasing every last bit of risk to the ground. You know, we're, you know, we think about enterprise risk and the way that George does it because he's an enterprise level risk manager. Uh, You know, he's looking at the major risks that stop the organization from achieving objectives. And, uh, you know, his point was, look at those big risks. Uh, We could get distracted by the little risk and wrap all kinds of red tape around them. And I think at the end of the day, that's why it makes the uh, O-ring analogy so on point, a little thing with a huge impact.
2: Yeah. So let's get back into the conversation with George. You mentioned quantitative risk analysis. I'm curious, in your view, do the traditional tools of risk analysis and risk management, like, you know, defining risk thresholds and the traditional risk analysis approaches, do those help us in managing cybersecurity risk? Are those tools up to the task? uh, Or is there still more work to do in that area and developing the capability of managing cyber risk, measuring cyber risk, etc?
0: Yeah, I think they're a good starting point. You know, if you don't have something, I think the traditional ways of doing things with Looking at the exposure, the, the you know, the, the likelihood, the impact and, you know, coming up with your heat maps that, that show where things sit. I mean, that's, uh, that's good. I mean, that's, that's a good start. And it's a good blend too, because you're not going to, you know, uh, risk analyze everything and not everything falls into a neat package of quantitative risk. Uh, so you got to have a blend of both. And, you know, it, again, you know, it's again, who you're talking to, who your audience is and what's important to them. Quantitative risk modeling, we are you know, very familiar with the FAIR Institute model, uh, something that, that a lot of organizations have adopted. Uh, and that has been very successfully carried through uh, where that message really becomes very important to the business, knowing you know, how that model works. In fact, it was interesting when we first started pitching that model, it was sort of a, a, the business, our leadership wanted to understand more about it. It's like, how does this work? And had more questions about the process than the output. How does it calculate? How does it, uh, as we continue to evolve it, and we actually put you know, certain things into the model, the events that happened within the organization and within the industry actually were fairly well represented in the model. So they started seeing the value of it and... It started to expand, not just you know, from the technology area, but it's used across the board now. And we, we, we process this for uh, a number of, uh, of other departments, including corporate risk and, and others, um, our supply chain. And in fact, it, interestingly, it's become sort of the, the facto of how we calculate risk transfer. It's become very, very accurate where, you know, in the past, as, as a lot of organizations did, was you know, that solid, you know, cyber liability insurance, you kind of went after what you could afford. You know, it was at the right amount of coverage. You know, if you use, if you use a good quantitative risk model to sort of figure out what you need to transfer, you know, what, what's, what's acceptable and what you need to transfer, then you're actually, you know, going after the right amount of coverage for the organization. We were able to reduce our costs significantly in that space because of that. Wow. Yeah,
2: a very desirable place because I think a lot of organizations are struggling with the increasing cost of cybersecurity insurance and the risk transfer mechanisms available just keep getting more and more expensive as, you know, that area matures. Yeah, less coverage and, and much more expensive. Yeah, absolutely. So that's interesting. You mentioned risk acceptance earlier in addition to risk transfer and in Robert and i's world, we hear a lot of organizations say, you know what, we're choosing to accept this risk or we're choosing to accept that risk, which is a bit tougher to do without the really tough quantification of the risk. How does it hit your ear if you, for example, are vetting, um, I don't know, a third party organization and, and maybe looking over their assurance mechanisms and you see that they've accepted a lot of risk? Are there situations where companies are accepting too much cyber risk, not enough risk? How mature is that space, in your opinion?
0: Do you think it's a accepting the risk becomes a risk of itself sometimes? I think it's a mixed bag. Organizations that have sophisticated practices will you know understand that better. Um, the, some organizations are just you look at it from the perspective of where that organization is and the maturity of that organization, you know, where they need to be, uh, where they are financially, you know, because if if they're willing to take more risk um you know whether it's you know, in, in in new investments new new uh business dealings things like that, a lot of times they're looking to expand they're looking to generate more revenue so they're willing to take more risk if they're if they're struggling same thing um you know, when you're in a good place and things are stable you tend to not take as much risk, especially if you're dealing with a third party that risk becomes your risk if you deal you know, if you, if you do business with them so you, you need to be able to now understand your risk tolerance when it comes to their risk tolerance.
1: That's a topic that's come up several times in these conversations, George, is third-party risk and third-party risk management. And I think you said it well. I mean, their risk becomes your risk. But you know, I, I think a little bit about the system of the system of healthcare. And I think, you know, you probably are super well-placed to talk about how complex healthcare is. But you know, it's a, it's a, it's a network of different companies coming together around a patient, uh, whether they be people providing or paying for care or, you know, engaging in, you know, biomedical science and technologies. I mean, how do, how do you approach the, the, the thinking about the system of risk around your organization or just in general terms, how should we think about it as an
0: industry? It's well, I think you, you kind of you know, said it to, to begin with, we're, we're all you know, in this together. We're, it's yeah it's an industry that's intertwined um, you know we deal with the same third parties that most other healthcare organizations um we deal with each other we're we're integrated in uh, health information exchanges and we're you know we're sending information across the board to other uh, healthcare organizations the government uh so we we've got ties everywhere like you said it's you know the risks of one organization you know, kind of trickle over to the other organizations that are tied to it, and you have to you know, yes, you have to be able to conduct business you know you have to be able to to provide care and you have to you know be able to to you know generate revenue so that you can continue to provide care, but in that there's a lot of risks that you have to be able to one understand do as much as you can to mitigate that exposure for your respective organization because if everybody does their part. In that way, it impacts everybody else.
1: That's that's great. I think um, it really is a risk system. Yeah, you know, we continue to, we continue to want to work on ways to help the system become stronger across the system as a as something. Certainly, we're working on at High Trust, but I think as just industry partners, keeping everybody focused on that problem, you know, hopefully yields some good benefits for us in time. So,
0: like that, as we said earlier, we're all intertwined in this, uh, and you know, we need to act together. Uh, you know, work with the ISACs. So that's you know, it's become. Part of this was, you know, the ISAC had some level of of information sharing that that they were getting um, and distributing. So, how how does the federal government do that better? Uh, How do we contribute to that? What's that avenue that we, as the the the, the private sector, need to take so that what we learn, you know, everyone else is aware of and can take action?
1: Yeah, it's really it's really the private sector. You know leading alongside and with our regulatory partners, and how do we together solve solve well, you know solve it easily, but lean into it easily I think is a better way of saying it so exactly
2: it's fascinating how much information sharing the lack of information sharing can hinder achievement goals and really lead to disasters and to bring it back to your o ring Example, I think the, the the Challenger disaster was predicted by a booster rocket engineer who knew the tolerances of that O ring and tried to communicate it to NASA, but it wasn't the information sharing wasn't effective enough. So that information sharing can be a deal breaker moment in a big tragic way. That's interesting. What a great conversation with a great guest. Yeah. So Robert George has some good insights because he's lucky enough to have a full time job. Doing nothing but cyber risk management. So, given that you are a CISO at a Fortune 10 company, how does hearing George talk about his experience at Kaiser parallel with your prior prior experience? And I, I guess more importantly, do you think it should align with everyone else's cyber risk management experiences?
1: Yeah, you know, we talked earlier about uh, humans wanting to try to control the future. I I think it's also pretty human to look at the world through the perspective that we each have. So. So I think it's a terrific question, Jeremy, because the world that uh, Kaiser lives in, the world I lived in, are you know they're uh, they're different than the world that many of our listeners live in. So um, you know it's important to acknowledge that oftentimes it's only the largest companies that will have very dedicated and many you know cyber professionals working in the organization. They may have lawyers helping them with the regulatory considerations. You know partnering every day with many privacy professionals focused on that risk. But everyone has the problem, and that's why I love your question so much. So, you know, for the majority of companies, cybersecurity is something they spend what they can spend on, trying not to be negligent, never being compromising. But it's that balancing act every day of risk management, deciding how much to invest in their security program, how much can be good enough this year. And uh, they may not call it risk management. They may not call it cyber risk or enterprise risk management, but it is what it is. It is, it is risk management. So... The challenge for those smaller folks is is that it's getting more dangerous all the time. And you know, I think we can agree that everybody needs somebody that know they're focused on the problem, they own this problem for their company, and they're communicating with the company leadership how many leaders there are or how few leaders they are about the problem and, and making those decisions together. And with that,
2: we're coming to the end of our episode. If you've been listening and enjoying the show, We'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a rating and review in your favorite podcast app.
1: Yep. And we sure appreciate all you for listening and joining with us. So have a terrific day. Thank you.